need help and support, please contact us at the hotline 311 Psychosocial Support at 722-6575 or 518-4157. Brought to you by PAHO, the OECS Commission and UNICEF. Welcome to the show. It is July 3rd. It is a beautiful, beautiful uh, Friday. My name is Tresha Lionel. And of course, we're going to be discussing a lot of different issues and more than uh, normal, I think, because there are so many things I want to touch on today. Uh, we're not going to uh, be spending too much time on any one thing today. But um, for all those tuned in on radio, Hits FM 92.1 in the north and 91.1 in the south. Of course, you guys locked in and streaming with us on Facebook and channel 124 on Flow and, of course, on other social media platforms like Twitch and also on Instagram. Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, before we begin, though, I have a few shout-outs to give. I would like to um, shout-out Ansha Augustine and Denry, Nurse Henry. She is in... New York, you know, we're international now, people. Remember that? We are international now. Um, also, we have Jetani and her mom as well in Tortola, Miss Heather. Um, also in Miku, Miss Anto. Good morning. And, you know, that's how, you know, the show has to go. And here I speak truth. Not just my truth, but, you know, we're speaking facts here. And we're going to have discussions about these things. Ms. Beverly Johnson, good morning to you. Um, all the staff members of the Library Credit Union at St. Jude's, um, at Carriman as well. Good morning to you. Um, so this is the show. We're going to start off by, you know, discussing what should be done with St. Lucia, what should be done with the economy. We've heard senators, ministers speak throughout um, in the past two weeks. And I think, as always, I've featured him, um, you know, several times, um, the independent senator, Mr. Adrian Auger. And today will be no different because I think, again, what he's saying is so important and um, it makes sense and it's relevant to what's happening. And I think um, it's something that I've always wanted to see that people with, you know, people in such positions have what it takes, the wherewithal to come out and say and speak their truth. And we don't see that often enough. We don't see that nearly as often enough as it should happen. But again, I give kudos to Mr. Adrian Auger for coming out and once again being very unapologetic in his ways and in his stance on these things. And this time it's about the state of emergency where he's saying that, you know, lift it, please free us, um, you know, for because he has spoken about the economic fallout that might, and is already currently happening because of the state of emergency. As to why we're still having it, some people speculate that it is for political reasons. I myself, I think it is, it is for political reasons as well because there is no other reason for that because the, while the state of emergency is going on, the borders are still open. That is just, 
I, I don't understand it either. So first, let's listen to Adrian Oje as he pleads and in a way demands to um, a change in policy from the government. The balance between health priorities and economic reality has to happen. There would be little joy in surviving COVID if we all die of starvation. Since the COVID debacle began, we've lost four months of productive economic activity. Those who survived April and May are staring at empty coffers and empty hands into June, July, August, September. We have not leveraged our COVID-free status sufficiently. We took too long to open the domestic economy and even now we have restricted economic resurgence with heavy laws, fees, licenses, taxes, and protocols. Even as we relax some of the health restrictions, and thank God that we have, our public announcements are still telling people to stay home, to avoid communal activity at a time when there is no evidence that COVID is contagiously spreading in our environment. There is very little risk of contamination if we are to believe our local authorities and we ought to be encouraging more economic activity. When you go to the villages around the country, you see too many people sitting idle, doing nothing, too many shops closed, too many businesses on the edge of bankruptcy. If we are COVID-free, we are COVID-free. If we are not, then let us say so. But the evidence suggests that we are COVID-free as far as the domestic economy is concerned, and as I had explained in an article not so long ago, we need to maximize that opportunity, that good result that we have, we need to maximize it. In the meantime, we are desperately seeking some viable formula for reopening our borders. We understand that. But we need to generate business among ourselves and make the most of what is left of the dollar and share it among ourselves. Indeed, with borders closed, and consumption close to basics, this is the very time that scarce money is likely to circulate more successfully in the economy, circulate and recirculate, so that various businesses can benefit from each other and be more sustainable. This would create much needed income for local business people and especially the self-employed who are not highly dependent on imports. Barbers, seamstresses, community shops, restaurants, transport, Farmers, boutiques, tradespeople, hairdressers, artists, entertainment, entertainers, and the like. These people are not entirely de dependent on the tourism dollar. Let us get their businesses up and running. Let us allow them to go out and earn a decent standard of living. Policymakers estimate, policymakers estimate that only 15 cents of each tourism dollar remains in the local economy. If so, we need to identify where the other 85 cents is, reduce that leakage, reduce it over time, over the next five years, for those who are coming into office or staying in office, an election promise and a strategy to achieve that would just about attract the attention of voters. That would give our people a greater sense of ownership in this conspicuously expensive lead sector into which we pour so much public support by way of incentives and land and other assets and cold hard cash. And that brings me to the arts and um, entertainment subsector, the creative sector. Madam President, when we closed down the economy and instituted the protocols 
of the COVID um, era. An entire sector became illegal. Illegal. It became impossible to have a party, a funeral, a wedding, a show, a recital. The whole sector was made illegal by these draconian laws which continue in force and need to be removed. There is no justification for having a state of emergency at this time. None whatsoever. And we need again to be honest about that and remove it. If we need a state of emergency at any time, that can be done within hours by the Governor General and ratified by Parliament with, for after seven days if Parliament is sitting and 21 days if Parliament is not sitting. We do not need to have these laws in place and I'm glad to see some nods of agreement coming from that side. It is unjustified. And not only that, Madam President, but the laws are so draconian. They subvert um, personal freedoms they allow us to avoid all the rules of procurement and they allow people to run willy-nilly over private property and personal lives in a manner that is fascist. It cannot be justified. It needs to be removed. When I made that remark or similar remarks in a recent article, the judiciary was perturbed that they called to find out if what Adrian is saying is true. And when I send them the regulations of, this, of the state of emergency, they fell into a dead silence. Shame on the bar. Shame on the bar for not saying anything, knowing full well that we have these kinds of legislations in effect, including a clause which says that the state of emergency shall override any other law in the event of a conflict. This is not acceptable. This is not how a democracy runs, and we need to change that. Completely, completely agreed, Mr. Oji. And it really, especially when you have um, leaders and a leader who doesn't seem to listen, who doesn't seem to take any advice. Um, but you will be on the right side of history, I think, for the stances that you're taking, for the things that you are saying and the, the things that people do not want to say at this time. And I've spoken to the lawyers and they also, they hate that that's happening. They think it too is illegal, but nobody's coming out to say anything. So I think people like you um, coming out to say these things, it's really, really important. And if you remember in one of my uh, previous shows, uh, when the prime minister asked for forgiveness, I said... You know, it's about restitution. And if you want out my forgiveness, the first thing I want to see is this removal of the state of emergency because it is seemingly an infringement on our rights. As a people, there is no real need for it. And it is unnecessarily affecting people economically and otherwise. So, Mr. Prime Minister, if you truly are sorry for... Um, I don't know, hurting people because you said if you hurt anyone. And you are. You are hurting people. Um, if you do or if you have changed, listen to the people speaking to you. Listen to the advice being given to you. Listen to the people that you are put there to help and protect and govern. And when we have uh, Mr. Adrian Oje and some other people, Dr. King and these, those sort of people coming out, they're important, but just as important as you, the people watching, the people on the street, and they speak with just as much eloquence, with just as much sincerity. And when I uh, heard the next clip, the next term person in the, in the clip, I thought 
It was eloquent. I thought it made sense. I thought uh, it had common sense. And I think that's something our leaders right now need and the policies that they're enacting, the policies that they're making right now. So we're listening to Adrian Uge in the house, but let's also listen to the people on the street. And this man I met in Marigo and I was totally, totally blown away. If you're watching, I know you are. Um, thanks for giving me that interview. I appreciate it. And I think that you, you know, it's extraordinary the way your mind works. Should be the government's priority at this time. The priority is the people, man. The persons who literally, I tell you, to be honest, I recognize the government is taking on some projects right now, and there's no reason for that. Why would somebody be starting and taking on a road project? I mean, on the road project, sometimes when you look at it, it's just only one set of persons get everything, you know. So what about the others who actually vote for you, actually put you in position for sit just like everybody else? You know, so some of the things is I, I figure out with all the state of emergency, in the meantime, while this is going on, they should be helping the persons who cannot help themselves. Yes, you want to help with tax return and all those kind of things, you know, but what about those who are not, who never work anywhere? How do they get any returns? How do these people survive? I had a friend of mine just last week. He was trying to help me buy my home, and then they come and take his meter off his house. I had to call Lucilek and his BF, and they said, yeah, we, he, we took it off from the, we cut the electricity from him from the first. I said, yes, but now he has to do everything again. If he cannot pay $150, how would he be, be able to pay for inspection, do wiring over, and pay the $150 again? How can he do that? So some things I think they have to really give some people a little, you know, those who can afford can't, those who can't, they just can't. There's nothing you could do about it. We are not the one who caused it. We are the one who has to suffer the consequence right now. But Some people are saying, you know, right now, even with everything going on, people relying too much on government. Do you think that's... that's it's not that people are really... I will not say everybody's relying on government. Because to be honest, me right now, I don't even know if there is a government, to be honest. You know, because with my job, really, yes, I do get my jobs from tourists all the time. And it's how I made it. You know, off-season I work, low-season I still work. Sometimes when I can help individuals again, I something I do. But I will not say everything is on the government. There's some things like, look, for now, everybody's going and buy seeds to plant. Now there's a drought. What can you plant? How could you eat? Persons were depending on the farming, the banana. When you look at the banana plantation right now, if you see how they look, some of them are successful, some of them are not. Not even some people are trying to go to these very same farms to get fake to it. They're not getting anything. So what else are you going to do? And there are some restrictions they put in that effect. Person, now you're hearing about coals. You cannot even do anything with charcoal. You have to do the license. Whatever they say about yeah, the, the charcoal. Licensing. Yeah, the mm -hmm. licensing. I mean, a, a poor person would pass and make some charcoal, try to sell for those who can offer to get something to it, and you want to. And then some things are just not fair. Just not fair. And the people now, all of us, we're helping each other out. I've said this before, and it's now very important that we all help each other. So what he was saying, I thought, was really, really important. And it also speaks to what is being given by government. And I will continue to speak about it because I am getting the calls, I am getting the messages, and people are really in financial difficulties right now. And they've had to wait a month and a half. They will have to wait another two weeks for the income support program to really roll out. So there's another delay. And that was said by uh, the director of implementation um, earlier this week. So the next thing would have been the NIC. And we know that that was wrought with its own problems. People were getting $16, although they were promised 500 It wasn't expected. Then you had the forms 
um, which was supposed to be free, being sold for $5, um, so that people who are even, you know, more unable to get financial assistance, you have to find the $5 to get the form, and then that was discontinued. So there was a lot of problems, real problems as it went along, and it seemed that as the NIC machinery was going along, then they would be changing things. And yesterday, I found it really interesting because the NIC officials explained that it wasn't completely their fault that they had a meeting in March, but the legislation was passed uh, more than a month later. And these are some of the, the things that we that we have to go through, the bureaucracy of these things. And people, while that's happening, people are really, really suffering. And I think it was interesting. And I have to also commend Lisa Joseph. I like the questions that she's asking. Because um, when these things happen, when you are a reporter in the field and you you're asking questions, when you go to GIS, it's somehow softer because, you know, you have to try to make the government, you know, look good. And I commend her for asking the questions people send and um, also asking your own questions. I can see that, you know, you were in the field with us and you still want to know what exactly what's going on instead of, you know, giving us the, the prepackaged sort of thing going on. Because I have seen reporters and they've been in media, but when they go and get into government, it's a completely different story. So thanks for staying true to yourself and knowing what it takes to ask the difficult questions, even though it makes um, people uncomfortable. And one of the questions she asked was, why were there so many problems and will it, will it get any better? Because now that we know NIC is going to extend the economic um, uh, program, for another three months. So they're saying that it will be um, in September. There are people who still haven't gotten paid, um, and they're explaining exactly what those problems were. Uh, how was that process? Can you describe that to, to us? The process of meeting the demand for NIC being able yes, to... Yes, so because you didn't have that sort of system already existing. Oh. And so in able to be able to get that system operational. Yes. Because I think that is perhaps one of the things that's the sort of disconnect with the public. Because the public is assuming that the NIC would have been up and yes. ready to yes. go. Because yes. So yes. what was missing in order for you not to be able to meet that demand? But I, I will let Suad come in because she had a big part, but I want to just give a broad overview. Because um, our board met on a Saturday, the 20th of March, when we, we considered what was happening, to decide whether we should go ahead with that program. And the board met on a Saturday, which at that time it was closed down, everywhere was shut mm -hmm. down, I think, mm -hmm. and we had to have a Zoom, a Zoom meeting. We had to get legislation passed, and the legislation to give us the power to move into this thing was done on the 24th of April. Um, so, and then after that, we had to put the systems in place. And so, I will come there just now. We had to put systems in place to accept applications. We had to accept employee information. Um, we had to, to look into application information to link the application information that came in through the portal with what we had on the NIC database. Um, we had to upgrade systems. <laughs> we had to upgrade systems to accommodate the massive increase in traffic because remember, our site was not designed to take this thing, right? And you know, even countries have a lot more resources than us. Um, as soon as they opened up to, for example, Obamacare, whatever it was, it then crashed, right? Um, so we had to, 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 to put things in place to upgrade our system um, at a time, again, when everywhere around the place was, was shut down. We had to re reallocate staff from other, other, other duties to, to deal with this new program. And again, we know what the NIC was set up to do. We were set up to pay um, the, the existing slate of many of, of, of benefits, sickness, maternity, and the, lo um, the long-term ones like like survivors and retirement, right. et cetera. Right? And the 10%, the well, the five and the five, five employer, five employee, 
is the premium to pay for these services. Okay? It does not have anything in it for the ER program which we're doing there. So it was something that, 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 that the board had to make a decision on and have legislative authority to do so, which is why we had to wait for the legislative authority. Which uh, came a full month yes, after we had been hearing that the NIC would have been providing yes. this um, yes. support. And because, and you know, it's not just a matter of legislation. Here is a piece of paper. There's a lot of to and fro. The, we had to, the AG's office with a significant role in that, and our senior legal counsel, and there was a lot of to and fro to make sure the legislation was right. And, and then the legislation passed on the 24th of April. Um, so, and then, we, we, at the same time, we have all the staff <laughs> reallocated because we have to pull people in from vacation. Yeah. All of the inspectors, we have to pull them in and, and put them into that program. And remember, we're making that as we go along because we have a system which was not designed for that, so you have to be programming it mm-hmm. constantly. And the, the, the programmers who are at home are working day and night to get this thing out. And then we have to reorient our operations to a more online system because, again, we were in the, we, though we have some online facilities, we were more in the, the our operations were more get towards the traditional face-to-face physical mm-hmm. documentation. So all of these things we had to be doing in that short space of time. And, and at the same time, we had to make sure we put in controls in place. Because as you heard recently in the United States, after they took months, they, remember they just sent a check to everybody. Because my brother was in the Bahamas and he got a check. Right? <laughs> and so they sent checks to everybody. It took months after they passed the legislation in Congress to enact this thing. And after they did that, they were paying dead people. Billions of dollars to dead people. Now, think of it. If the NIC were to do something like this, or oh, there's a, a certain level of fraud, um, which was detected, and the very same people who give us licks for taking too long would say that, look, you're paying contributors' money, and we're not being careful enough. And, and Swan had a significant role in it, because she was paying in the program first, and she had a significant role in making sure we put in the controls in place to ensure that we could at least um, uh, weed out some of the, 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 you know, some people always try a thing eh, in our mm-hmm. Google Pass. Some of the, the things that, that came in which did not meet the requirements for this thing. So I don't know if Swan could probably build on and give a little more details um, because she was instrumental in ensuring other systems were in place. For that. In how you were able to make sure the ship was running tight. Yes, I mean, in addition to what the director was saying, IT obviously was key to getting all of this pulled together because we had to go electronic, both for efficiency and to reduce the level of inaccuracy from manual intervention. Mm-hmm. We had to wait for the legislation to be passed because that informed the program and that informed what we can accept, what the qualifying criteria was, and so on. So that was, that was key to, to getting it all pulled together. Controls, definitely, and that is built in from the beginning of the receipt of the applications, the online e-form. Configuring our program, pulling in resources, while continuing to maintain the regular mandate of the NIC, trying to juggle staff. We have done quite a bit in terms of bringing in some persons who were employed with NIC before, were familiar with the system, just to build our capacity to some extent because we needed to do that. IT being key, brought on additional IT persons who are external. Whatever resources that we needed to help facilitate that, we did. did. Um, and in that five-minute clip, we heard about 15 reasons, maybe a dozen more excuses. And there are a lot of things, and I think people in finance keep forgetting that it really is just about the people. It is about the people. And yes, um, what's happening in America, and these things are mutually exclusive. What's happening here and what's happening in America, and if you didn't do it well, then we would be paying dead people. You can do that and also have it 
um, done in an efficient way because right now we have people who haven't gotten anything for months, although they've been promised. So, um, of course, I understand that it's a really good initiative. It started off as a good initiative. It was good in theory, but executing it is clearly, clearly a problem. And they're saying that now for the next three months until September, they're going to be doing a lot better, which I hope that's the case. Um, and of course, a lot of people will be looking towards that. A lot of um, people who are now completely at the mercy of the state and the NIC and they need the assistance. So um, you guys, I know you guys are working hard um, at the NIC, but we just need it a bit quicker, a bit more uh, efficient um, to help some people. And like I said in our last show, we do have, um, this week we're going to be helping a mother. She is from the Miku area and she needs assistance, her most immediate need um, their groceries and for that I want to thank um, the people who have contacted, contacted me so far um, including the Red Cross uh, thank you for that and my number is 4603054 I'm going to go there and drop it off tomorrow it's an immediate need um, so you know let's just help each other out because clearly we're seeing a lot of mistakes being made and a lot of backpedaling um, including um, with the next thing we're going to have with the revised travel protocols that we're now going to have. We said earlier that we were going to open the borders on June 4th. We put out our travel protocols to the airlines and, you know, to the tourists about what we demand and what we expect um, because of the health reasons. And it seems, too, that we didn't consult anyone. The government didn't consult anyone because they put it out and it rendered everything. Nobody could come because the protocols were just not in keeping with the way things were in the States and the way that the airlines um, had to operate. So you saw AA and Delta and other airlines pulling out of it or saying that they cannot come just yet because of the protocols were too strict. So we have to now backpedal and change it. And if we can put some of that on the screen, um, it includes the pre-arrival registration of travel. Um, all visitors and returning citizens in Lucia must complete a pre-arrival registration form Prior to arrival, visitors can go to www.cmisha.org and click on um, other things. It's also speaking about returning citizens. All returning Sinusian citizens and residents must also complete the pre-arrival registration form. As above, on arrival, they are required to quarantine for 14 days um, at a pre-approved home quarantine address. And it goes on. And I think a lot of, there are also new testing protocols. And before it was, you know, you had to have it 48 hours before. Now they've changed it to seven days or less um, before travel to St. Lucia. And we're doing all this trying to get tourists. I think we really want Americans to come to St. Lucia. But if you're following international news, they're going through their own thing right now. I don't think... Um, that we're going to see much of that, or I don't think that would be the best, that would be of the best interest to us. Um, so again, we're seeing two different realities in St. Lucia that we have our borders open, but we have the state of emergency. And even now, just yesterday, we're hearing of, um, re we're recording three cases and people are scared that we're doing this. We're opening our borders and we've seen what was happening in other countries, in Jamaica and other places who have taken in tourists, their numbers, their, um, COVID, uh, numbers are spiking because of that. And we are now going to do exactly that. We're opening our borders 
to foreigners and not just to the region, like, you know, have interregional travel. Because I think if there's any better time, there's no better time than now to, you know, circulate or go to our own different countries um, within the region. But instead, we are looking to get um, the foreign uh, the states. The UK won't allow it. The EU completely banned American tourists from entering. But no, we opening ours. We opening our borders. So that is very, very strange, especially now. We should be really concerned because of the three cases we've just um, seen. On Thursday, July 2nd, 2020, St. Lucia recorded three positive cases of COVID-19. The individuals are a 44-year-old female, a 32-year-old male, and a 36-year-old female. All are returning nationals who previously worked on cruise lines. Upon return to St. Lucia in June, they were all placed in institutional quarantine and were tested in keeping with the testing strategy for repatriated cruise line workers. Upon receipt of these results, all three individuals have been transferred to the respiratory hospital for isolation and related supportive care. They are all currently doing well. The risk to people in quarantine and the staff of the facility is assessed as low, given the infection prevention and control guidelines in place at the state-managed quarantine sites. These recently confirmed cases again proves the importance of quarantine as a measure to minimize the risk of transmitting COVID-19 to protect the health of every individual within our country. We once again appeal that everyone supports our national effort to minimize the threat of COVID-19 by adhering to the protocols that have been put in place. We recognize that many of the measures in place may seem inconvenient to the public. However, we strive to ensure public health and safety. We continue to advise on the importance of maintaining the standard recommendations for infection prevention and control. The Ministry of Health, we shall continue to provide further updates on COVID-19. And play with a special rhythm. But we are experiencing a public health crisis never seen before. And it has left many of us isolated, anxious and afraid. And even though we are missing our families, our teammates and our friends, keeping our distance ensures our safety. Why is protecting our loved ones? And by extension, our solution. Let us embrace the silver lining for what it is. A moment to reflect and chart a brighter tomorrow. We are 758, 759, and everything in between. And it is because of our resilience we shall persevere. We are all St. Lucia. We never give up. Let's do this together, apart. Tip of the day number one. It is normal to feel sad, stressed, confused, scared or angry during a crisis. Talking to people you trust can help. 
Contact your friends and family. Need help and support? Please contact us at the hotline 311 Psychosocial Support at 722-6575 or 518-4157. Brought to you by PAHO, the OACS Commission and UNICEF. If you haven't checked out Ram J's Auto Parts yet, what are you waiting for? We stock a wide assortment of older and newer model popular car and SUV parts. Suzuki, Toyota, Mitsubishi, Honda, Nissan, Mini Cooper, and lots more. That's not all. Ram J's also stocks truck and heavy equipment parts. And if that won't help you, we also do heavy equipment rentals to keep your downtime at a minimal. Ram J's Auto Parts is located Massad Industrial Zone Grocery. Contact us 450-0495 or 716-1400 or email ramj35 at hotmail.com. Welcome back and thank you so much for staying with us. As we continue with the show, we will continue how we ended yesterday with um, the really harrowing incident of that domestic violence uh, video that we saw. It, it was difficult to watch. Um, we, well, I discussed it, I put it out there, and it's a difficult conversation, like I said um, yesterday. But I found it interesting, too, that we had someone from the family court um, also speak on that uh, and the implications that we have here as a as a culture relating to gender-based violence and domestic violence. And when I was looking at the research, we don't have much of it in St. Lucia, but when I was looking at research um, in other places like the U.S. and in the U.K., they have seen a spike in um, cases of domestic violence and they're relating it to um, COVID and the economic um, problems that everyone is facing, that people are stressed and really under pressure and they're reacting in a way of, of violence and, you know, beating their spouses. So whether it's the same here, whether we're going to see, whether we're seeing a spike um, here, I do not know. And I cannot say just yet whether we're seeing that there is no real um, numbers for that yet. But I thought it really interesting and I think it's something all um, people should listen to, but particularly women who are being abused or um you know, know things like that or have witnessed it, it's something that we all have to really pay attention to. This is not the first time incidents of what is commonly called domestic violence have made it into the public domain here in St. Lucia. However, this latest video, which appears to show a male individual punching and slapping a female while holding her down, has sparked new discussion about intimate partner violence in society. During my lunchtime news program, I interviewed a former director of the family court about the phenomenon of abuse between romantic partners. I wanted to know how this kind of problem develops. Let's look at it this way. 
when we're under stress, we go back, back to a behavior that worked for us, quote unquote, in the past. We go back to a behavior that we may have observed in the past and we believe that it works. And this is how intimate partner violence can also, um, how shall I put it? We, this is how we can also look at the creation of intimate partner violence within a relationship. You know, where was this behavior learned? Um, could it have been learned um, from the, the um, family of origin and therefore become recreated in the family that you are, you have created? A video that surfaced subsequent to the one depicting the violent altercation seems to show the aggressor in the first video kneeling in contrition, begging for forgiveness from the woman he previously assaulted. While not speaking directly to the videos in question, King outlined a cyclical pattern of behavior in which assaults are followed by contrition and repentance. After that explosive situation or the explosive stage, you then have the reconciliation stage. And this is also known as the honeymoon phase. Mm -hmm. And the abuser becomes contrite and apologetic for their behavior. Um, they may be overly attentive or affectionate, and they may try to ignore what has happened, or they might say that it never happened, or they will ignore what has happened. And it is at this stage, I don't know if you're familiar with the, the poem, He Brought Me Flowers Today. Yes, yes. And that describes it perfectly, mm. because every time there was an abuse, he would bring flowers and every time something happened he'd be apologetic and bring flowers until at the very end of the poem the flowers is for her funeral mm -hmm. okay um they often shower you with gifts and promises and over-the-top kindness for instance you may get proposal of marriage because the abuser may may um know that this is something that you had wanted or or a promise of a holiday a promise of a car, promise of dinner, and you know, and at the same time, y'all have not sorted out what is going on and where is this relationship going. Right. King, while acknowledging that our local institutions are in need of more resources and attention, and additionally that the legislative framework to prevent domestic violence needs to be improved, still urged people to seek assistance from places like the Family Court and the Department of Human Services. NGOs such as the Crisis Center are also places where victims of intimate partner violence can seek help. King ended the interview by reminding the public that women can call 202 to be connected with a residential shelter if they need to escape a violent relationship. I'm Janika Simon, reporting for Choice News Now. Now, And we shouldn't have waited for something like that to happen, to have those sort of discussions, but it is what happened, and that video is out. And um, I did reach out to the lady there. Um, but... And I didn't want to get too much into that individual basis because you're getting um, pictures and videos of, you know, that sort of relationship and the man is now apologizing and saying it'll never happen again. You know, textbook case, I think, of, you know, the way these things happen. So whatever she decides to do, I mean, she she should and like everybody else has their own decisions, but um, 
is just to know your rights and to know what you will and will not accept. And that, in an, in an individual basis, I never want to touch. I really want to go to instead the legislation. And um, there have been calls for a review and a redraft of the domestic um, violence bill. And that was being helped by Commonwealth and different funding. And, of course, we spoke yesterday with Ms. Catherine Seelis and I was really interested in the bill, and I found some interesting parts of it that I thought we all should um, look at. And it was, if you can put it up, if it um, problems, if you the use of financial abuse is based on the understanding that many perpetrators um, of domestic violence use the withholding of money or the taking away of money as a method of control of the victim. So they're saying that as we redraft the bill, you need to have that um, in in context in knowing how to redraft it. And it also says the jurisdiction to deal with the domestic violence should be extended to a family court with a consolidated magistral um, and high court jurisdiction. And these things are just really putting together the way our culture is that sometimes uh, women, whoever's being abused, but let's, let's be real, it's mostly women right now. Um, women are being abused and they cannot do much about it because they are financially dependent on their abuser. So they're saying that even in looking at these cases, we have to keep that in mind. And if we could go to the other page that I found um, equally interesting with the domestic violence bill. Um, it says that recognizing that domestic violence is a serious crime against society, that many persons are regularly beaten, tortured, and in some cases even killed by their partners or cohabitants, and that many victims come from various social, economic, cultural, ethnic, and religious backgrounds, and that children suffer deeply and lasting emotional effects from domestic violence. And of course, it goes on. If you want a copy of that, I can also give it to you. Um, I could send it to you as well. So... The problem for me is that bill is there and they've sent it um, to the people who have to pass such bills. And we've seen in the past month marathon-long sessions of bills being passed in the House and yet still this has been there and nobody has taken um, the, the, the opportunity to do that. That's not one of the more important things at this time. So I'm calling on the Minister of Gender Relations to do something about that. And I think Catherine Celius also said that there have been consultations and no minister has been present, including the Minister of Social Justice, the Minister of Gender Relations, the Minister of National Security. No one has attended these consultations. And we need to see more... Um, more consultation, more involvement, and not just words, because um, you hear every time there's a violent incident of, you know, we need to protect our women, or we need to protect our children, and these are just words, but the actions that we're not seeing, and if there's nothing is more actionable right now than passing that bill and protecting our vulnerable in society. So that's uh, my thought on the matter, and I really want to thank Catherine Celius for speaking with me, um, and also the other lawyers that spoke to me on the issue, because I never really knew that domestic violence, um, we just say it loosely, but it's only domestic if you're living with the person. Other than that, it's gender, um, it's gender violence. Um, so that's what's happening there. Um, as we move on into, I told you we were going to go into different topics, I really 
wanted to hear what people are saying right now with what's happening with the family, um, how COVID has affected the family, um, and just how they're affected in all ways, economically and otherwise. And in the people that we're going to hear from, I, you know, traveled to the West Coast and spoke to um, different people. He said something interesting in that, you know, he liked it in a way because he could spend time with his family more. Um, and it helped a lot of um, family relationships and the sort of bonding that goes on. So we're seeing two very different um, results, um, two different realities right now. And for that, I've always wanted, from when I was reporting to now with this show, I want to hear the people on the ground speaking on what's affecting them and their thoughts on them, their thoughts on the matter. So um, with that, we're hearing people on the West Coast from Sufre to Marigo speaking on how they're surviving in this time. That the locals want to have a sea bath, so I use the ferry to give them a sea bath. But that's it. So how are you coping with, um, you know, no tourism and everything else like that? Well, a good thing that I didn't put my egg in one basket. I'm a farmer. I got myself organized and I'm doing farming. So till it picked up again, I will start it back again. Mm-hmm. That's it. So your ferry, it's going, you know, you're helping. It shut. It shut. Mm-hmm. It shut down there. It's around here somewhere? Hmm? It's around here? Yeah, look at the ginger lily. Okay, I'll yeah. take up some footage of it just now. Yeah. But, um, so you're happy that you, you know, you try to be in farming and everything else? Yes. Farming is one of the great things I ever did choice good choices and what did what are you planting what do you have just name it i have it <laughs> um <laughs> that's good but some people are saying you know as farmers they want to get more support from government especially with the tourism down they need more well i don't know i don't know about that you see farming is something that <clears throat> you have to the government could only reach a certain level and you have to take it on you know it's a business where you have to you know supply your business Make your business prosperable. Mm-hmm. Right. <clears throat> and how do you think um, everything happening with the COVID and everything shut down like that? A lot of people are saying. Well, I'll tell you something. Tell me. I think it's a good thing. Because we, you get to understand the real source of life. People were taking everything for granted. People were partying and doing all sorts of things, don't care about the family who's cheating, who's not cheating, who has this, who has that. But with the COVID now, put family together. It, it, it's all difficult for all um, those persons who are working in the tourism industry, those boat boys, as we refer to them, doing a little hustle by the bay. Um, so it, it's a little difficult. Everybody's feeling the economic... Um, crisis right now and, and yes we in Sufria, we are feeling it um how do you see we can go forward some people are saying you know let's focus on agriculture instead because we don't know what nah, and what's going to happen with tourism. agriculture instead yeah in a point of time like now even now we have problem with water how about agriculture and stuff go forward you know yes you want to do a crop you want to plant something but how do you water your fans mm-hmm. drought season so the only thing that kind of help a little is with the tourists that's how everybody normally survives, and I mean, with the place shut down, really, it's a big, it's a big disappointment to a lot of persons. A lot of persons lose their job, and a lot of persons like that's what they depend on. Even the local guys on the bay, when they come around, that's what they really depend on. And you see some of them just coming 
fishing they're trying. You don't always get fishes at sea at all time. Now, um, do you think the state of emergency is necessary? Some people are saying, you know, it's, it's Right now, there's a state of emergency. I think it's time for them to let go of that. I think it's really time to let go of that. Because now, I mean, the place is safe. In spite of saying you're not going to open the country to all, but why don't we ourselves enjoy our own self in our own country? Everybody have to be in a shutdown thing, walk with a mask. What's the purpose for it anymore? We don't know. If they say we are all secure, there's no more cases, why should it not be open and everybody enjoy the place? Some people are saying that, you know, it's... You know, it's not fair that the Prime Minister can go around without a mask and stuff. It is very not fair because I was talking about it today. If you, you should be an example. Why would you want to do it and have state of emergency? State of emergency for what? And you have everybody all around you, you know, jumping up and doing everything. You're allowing them to touch you. What is state of emergency is about? Any question? Thank you very much. You're most welcome. Anything else you want to add at all? Well, nothing more. But to be honest, I don't know. I wish everyone could have been... I still have a little something doing in spite of what it is. But I wish that other persons could have been doing the same, getting mm -hmm. something to do. And everybody that I spoke with there, they're, you know, they're all doing something. They're all hustling. They're all trying to um, redirect and do something. And I really, really appreciate that sort of spirit that um, a lot of solutions have, that we're trying. You know, some people might call us lazy and um, malawi and whatever, whatever. You know how they talk about um, people who are poor and trying. But I need to commend the people who are out there trying to do something um, and recognizing that they need the help. And with the last question in the state of emergency, and of course we're going to speak about it, we continue to have discussions about it. Uh, we've heard one senator speak about it, but there's also the other senator, the other senator, the ever inimitable <laughs> Mary Isaac. Mary Isaac spoke about the state of emergency in, of course it's Mary, so it's quite confusing. I'm trying to understand what um, exactly she was saying and I could have gone with the report but I wanted uh, my colleagues gave me the full interview um, so later on when we come back from um, and later on in the show we'll hear what she's speaking what she's thinking of you know the revolution and people coming out and um, having their voices heard but for now let's listen to Miss Isaac speak on the state of emergency and whether we should lift it and her explanation as to why we shouldn't I've had 19 cases no deaths if one person, God forbid, was to die today or tomorrow, every one of us would be pointing fingers in different directions. Okay? So my one priority now is for us to protect the health of the nation. And that is what I say to my team, and that is what my team is focusing on. As you can see, everything is COVID, COVID, COVID. And that is our first priority right now, to protect St. Lucia and St. Lucia. But clearly you can see that the state of emergency is only having the impact that it's supposed to, right? Keeping people at home, keeping people off the streets and everything else. And that is what it is meant to do. And it also gives the, the government the, the opportunity to take action if needs be. So like Jamaica now is saying, if our rate of infection goes above a certain percentage of our population, we are going to have to shut down completely. To do that, they would need to have the set of emergency in place so that they can do that quickly. And this is all that is about. Everybody is talking about a state of emergency, a state of emergency. Do you see anything that's happening now that is impacted by that state of emergency? Yes. I don't. Protest. But people protested. You were just saying there was a revolution. 
the police are still coming out, not allowed to because they see the emergency to nonetheless they're not allowed legally to protest. So what is it that they would want to protest about during a coronavirus spread? During a during a coronavirus spread? I don't think so, Miguel. We don't want to see the death rate that is happening in the States happen here. Believe me you, we want to see you stay alive. Yo, 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 TV, yo, TV. I know you got it. If you identify with the most pulsating, the most riveting, the most eye-capturing UTV to advertise with UTV, dial 484-7588 or 572-7588 for some of the most competitive rates, amazing programming, and bang for your buck. The most popular streaming channel, UTV124 on Facebook. Get it now. Check us out on Instagram at UTV124. Email us utvslu at gmail.com. UTV. It's not just for me. It's definitely TV for you. On steroids, UTV and Hits FM sinking the eyes and the ears of tomorrow today. Not only can you see it, you can feel it. Airing on channel 124 or tune into radio 92.1 FM is Trisha Lionel in the morning at 11. Also airing live with Lisa and the ever controversial revolution with Christopher Hunt. That's right, we don't do it normal. Stay locked in with UTV and Hits FM, channel 124 and 92.1 FM. UTV, TV for you. Welcome back and thank you uh, for staying with us on Hits FM 92.1 and 91.1 and also on Facebook um, and other social media platforms like Instagram and on Twitch. And of course, um, for the people who still use it, the television <laughs> on channel 124. Um, thank you for staying with us. And as we go into our last leg of the show, we're still um, going to speak about Mary and how Mary Mary can be so quite contrary. And she continues. Uh, but before we go into what she said recently, let's say, let's, let's go into what she said in the past about, um, uprisings and, you know, the spirit of the revolution died with, um, George Odlum. And I think that is one of the most, uh, remarkable things that she said, things that I, I think people won't forget. They won't forget at all. But, uh, let's go into that. Remember Mary saying that. I'm mentioning the environment that that is creating. Because we are here, even in this house, 
that we have to be careful about infringing on people's rights. And this is where I am trying to go with that, Madam President. Because you see, there are those people who believe, and yesterday morning we saw a prime example of what could have happened. There are those people who believe that they need to have an uprising. They need to have a revolution. They refuse to move on and recognize that Brother George Oblam is no longer here and he took the revolution with him. <laughs> and we do not have anybody else in this country who is brave enough to do what it is that he used to do. Because he used to have cause, Madam President. He used to have cause. So we... we so, um, and since she said that about more than a month ago, there have been different movements, different protests. I know that it started off in uh, Viewfort um, earlier last month when there was the, the rally there. Then, of course, there was the drive where thousands of people joined in a queue around, you know, the island. Um, a hundred, more than a hundred, hundreds of people actually were in um, castries before it all began and they were also agitating. There was the Black Lives Matter movement. There was another SLP rally in the, in the south of the island. And I'm hearing there's going to be yet another one um, this weekend. So, the question is, was she wrong and will she take it back? And is she seeing the spirit now? Because I think people took that as a challenge from Miss um, Isaac when she said that, that the revolutionary spirit died with Mr. Odlum. And I think personally that I saw people coming out and speaking. Um, but when she was asked yesterday, the day before, whether you know she takes it back, maybe she's seeing the actual spirit and maybe she was wrong. Um, of course, I thought she would have uh, said something along the lines of, yes, maybe she was wrong or something of the sort. But of course, um, Mary goes left on a tangent. So you recently made statements to the effect that we no longer have a revolutionary spirit here. But recently we've seen a series of basically anti-government protests erupting. What are your thoughts on these actions? Well, I'm happy you are concurring with me in terms of saying it's a revolution. It was nothing close to that. So I still stand, you know, correct in saying that where is the revolution? You cannot have a revolution in a peaceful country where everybody is saying, let us get together, unite to fight a virus that the whole world is fighting. You cannot. But do you think solutions have in essentially disproved you by showing that they're willing to come out and let their voices be heard? We cannot say St. Lucians because that was just a handful of people. And all the people were members of the political party the opposition party. They are St. Lucians, but they are a handful, a select few. So they are not St. Lucians. Don't you think it may be the start the, matter, the whole country? All our people matter, Miguel, but what I'm saying is that was just a political party pushing their agenda. So don't you think it's possibly the start of some sort of revolution? Well, I do not know if you've ever lived through a re revolution. The ones that I have the history of knowing is nothing close to what, what is going on there. What is going on there is just mischief. Because during a virus, the fight to control a virus, you cannot, you cannot be trying to incite people into getting into mischief and creating problems for the country. There's no country where that is happening. Even with the Black Lives Matter, you see what is unfolding, right? And of course, they had every right to demonstrate too much, but was the timing the right timing, because some of those very same people are now dying. 
So would to be happening outside of the pandemic, would it be okay? Would it be revolutionary? I do not know that it would be revolutionary because, you see, you have to look at what constitutes a revolution. And even what went on with the Black Lives Matter, it was a demonstration. A lot of it was peaceful demonstrations. But what I'm saying is because you have a virus that is so contagious, was it the right thing to do at that time? Because how can you go and demonstrate for rights and kill yourself in the process? You understand? From a health perspective, we, we, we do not agree with that sort of, that sort of thing. Now, in all the protests that have happened um, in the past month, I've covered them all, except the Black Lives Matter movement, mostly because I was here. But I think that it had really had nothing to do with the party. It had to do with the people and their coming out. If I'm going to be very honest, the people um, are coming up with the slogan, Chastity must go. I don't think it has anything to do with the opposition, really. And um, if anything, that's the first time I'm seeing people leading the way for now and um, the opposition uh, still getting their way, getting their way there, because people seem to feel the uh, frustration. They're coming out and they're showing it. And I don't want Miss Isa, because what she keeps doing, she seems to be taunting people, taunting St. Lucians into saying, you know what, you cannot do it and you don't have it in you. And if I know my Lucians, there's nothing, don't tell me, you know, what I cannot do, because I'll, I'll do more than that and I will show you. And that, from the very first time she said it, it's you know, it hurt a lot of people and they came out because now you're challenging people to come out. And if I know my people well, um, they're going to make you very, very wrong again, Miss Isaac. I don't know whether you're afraid to say you were wrong, um, but I think you should reconsider. I think you should reconsider the wrong and strong approach. And, um, you know, if you want things to level out, just, just lay low for a while instead of keeping to that um, narrative that people don't have it in them and it wasn't really a revolution and um, it wasn't St. Lucian's. So SLP supporters aren't St. Lucian's. And there was also talk of, you know, it was only a few people. I'm telling you, hundreds of people were there. We counted about 400 vehicles making around around the island. Thousands of people were on that drive. So don't discount what is happening because we're seeing it for our own eyes. We're seeing it for ourselves. There have been, um, it was very, very impactful. And if maybe you forgot, I want us to put in some images, some pictures of what exactly um, was happening over, you know, that month. <laughs> It's very
Um, <laughs> the spirit died, Mary. Where? Where the spirit die? <laughs> I want to. I want to know. I also, I wish I could. You know what? I want to have an interview with Miss Isaac. I want um, one day maybe she we should come on the show and maybe we could try to analyze her all together. Um, but I think I'll try to squeeze in one call. Um, and we'll try to squeeze in one call. I'm eating up into the other show, but who cares about that guy anyway? So um, we will try to take one call as we look at other um, images completely debunking what Mary Isaac is saying. And I find her so, so intriguing that you could see these images and say that it's nothing, that it was um, just SLP supporters. I am telling you that it wasn't. It was people who were completely frustrated, who wanted their voices to be heard, and who didn't need um, a leader or anything of the sort, and they went around the island. And for that, I want us to remember, I don't want us to forget, I think it was one of the uh, historical moments, and for me especially too, because it was the first time I've ever seen something of that nature, um, of people just really coming into their own and doing what they had to do. So um, let's watch some more of the things that happened on that day. Thank you, baby. Thank you. And in the last clip, you just saw the extent of um, the drive there, the people that were there, the people who wanted their voices to be heard, and they sent a clear signal. So if you want to ignore it or if you want to change the narrative and say, you know, it was just the SLP and it was just a few people and they weren't even solutions, that's not the case, and you know it. So don't even try that. Don't do that, Mary. We have gone. Um, and I think now we have come to the end of the show. 
It was always a, pl- it's really, really a pleasure. I was 15 minutes over my time. Um, but for that, I appreciate you guys locking in and staying in with us on Hits FM 92.1 and also 91.1 FM. Also on Facebook, on Channel 124 and also on Instagram. I appreciate you guys staying with me, um, listening to the different issues and of course interacting with me as well. Again, um, the call for uh, making any donations at all to the lady who is in need in Miku. My number is 4603054. I am going to down to make that um, donation to her on Saturday. I appreciate those who are calling right now. Um, so keep doing it and we all have to help each other. And with that, I wish you guys a great and safe weekend and also a great afternoon.